All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Pastor Brett. I want to welcome everyone today. Welcome to everyone watching online today. So glad that you could come join us this morning. Um, we're starting a new series today. And this series is called The Holy Fear of God. The Holy Fear of God. So go ahead, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 33. Some of you might be new to your Bible. If you, if you open it right in half, usually you're right around what book? Psalms. Psalms, that's right. Isaiah is just four books to the right of Psalms. <clears throat> um, I'm very excited about, about this series and uh, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, but um, <clears throat> actually a number of months ago I was watching an interview on, I think, I think the program is called Life Today. That's the one with James Robeson. I think it's called Life Today. And uh, <clears throat> they were interviewing John Bevere. How many of you know who John Bevere is? And, uh, and so... Um, just, just watching that interview, I'm going to talk about this in a little bit here, but um, that really inspired this series on the holy fear of God. He was talking about his book, The Awe of God. <clears throat> and so um, a lot of what we talk about in this series is going to be coming from that book. Isaiah chapter 33 in <clears throat> verse 6 says, wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Have you ever heard that before, that God's treasure is the fear of the Lord? Right? The way that it's the fear of the Lord is because this is, this is how God receives tribute from us. Right? This is how he receives gifts of gratitude and, and admiration and honor and respect from his children. Right? It's from our holy fear of him. This is God's treasure, and God shares this treasure with his kids. John Bunyan said, Fear of the Lord is his treasure, a choice jewel given only to those who are greatly Beloved, But let's understand first the value of this treasure. How many of you are familiar with King Solomon? King Solomon. <clears throat> King Solomon was, was the wisest man to ever live besides one person, Jesus. And, uh, but his wisdom was absolutely astounding. Um, he wrote thousands of wise sayings. In fact, it was Solomon that wrote uh, in Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's coming from the wisest person that ever lived. And so he lived in abundance of God's treasure. Okay? And, and he ruled over millions. Um, Israel's greatest times... Of, of wealth was when Solomon was king. Okay, poverty was non-existent during his reign. It, it didn't exist in Israel. 
Okay, kings, queens, ambassadors, high-level leaders, they would all travel great distances just to be in Solomon, King Solomon's presence because he was so wise. And they wanted to learn about all of the innovations that he made that, that made Israel so successful and so wealthy. Okay? And so um, this, this, these are his final words in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 in verse 13. I'm going to read from the <clears throat> New Living Translation and then the Amplified. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. So after his entire life, the, the wisest man, fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Amplified Version says, All has been heard. The end of the matter is, fear God. Revere and worship him, knowing that he is, and keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and the whole duty for every man. So all of his great wealth of wisdom and knowledge Solomon says the most important thing in this life, the prerequisite to an abundant life in God, is this, fear God. Fear God. This is the treasure of God. Just consider this for a minute. What do you do with your treasure? What do you do with it? Maybe your, your mother or your father, they, when, when you were a child, maybe they gave you something that was very special. Anybody can relate to that? What did you do with that? Right? You, you treasured it. You valued it. It was important to you. You kept it safe. You had respect for it. You didn't just leave it lying around, but, but what, did, what, did you, what did you do? You put it in a very special place. You didn't just let anybody see it and touch it, but you guarded it. You protected it. Right? We need to value God's treasure. We need to have a special place for the holy fear of God in our lives. We need to guard it. What else do we do with treasure? What if you find a treasure chest? What's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you do? You got a treasure chest. It's full of treasure. What's the first thing you do? You start to delight in it, right? You start to put your hands in, throw it in the air, right? We delight in treasure. How many of you watch DuckTales? Anybody watch DuckTales? I always picture Scrooge McDuck daily going into his treasure vault. And what did he do? He, He dove into it and started to swim in his treasure. What was he doing? He was delighting in his treasure, Okay, look what Isaiah has to say about Jesus. He's prophesying about Jesus in Isaiah 11. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his eyes. Jesus' delight is in the fear 
of the Lord. He takes pleasure and enjoyment in the treasure of God. The fear of God is his treasure and his delight. I was so excited to see Fox and Robin here today. Not because I wanted to see Fox and Robin, but because they brought Orion, their new little uh, born, newborn baby. And, uh, and, and just seeing Orion, I saw pictures of Orion, I think the day or maybe the day after he was born. And, um, and it just reminded me of how when my, my kids were, were babies like that, how I just delighted in them. And, and yes, we still delight in our children when they grow older, but, but this is before they ask for money. <laughs> and this is before they roll their eyes at you and think that you're lame. Right, so this is—it's unique when they're in that that baby stage. But when they're at, when they're in the baby stage, you can just gaze on your baby forever. Right, when when they're sleeping and when they're laughing, you just delight in that. You know, even when they cry, when they have that newborn baby cry. Right, we're not upset; we delight in it. We're like, oh. Right, we delight in that. Right, we even delight in them when they burp and fart. Don't we? We do. Oh, those are big burps. Oh, you farted. Ah. Right, we delight. We, we cheer the burp. We cheer the fart. I don't know if Brother Bridal has ever used the word fart before from the <laughs> pulpit. I don't like that. He doesn't like that. Let's, let's just move on. But God wants to bring us to a place where we value his treasure and where we delight in his treasure. Value and delight in the holy fear of God. Have you ever thought of that before? to value and to delight, to have joy and pleasure in the holy fear of God. I want to read Psalm 99, verse 1 to 3. It says, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion. And he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. You know, going back to that interview I was watching with John Bevere, when he was talking about the holy fear of God, my, my heart just jumped. Because I knew that this is what I need more of in my life. I need Psalm 99. I need more tremble. And I really believe that this is what the body of Christ needs today. There's so many of us in the 
in the church, in the body of Christ, that we, we love God and we love Jesus and we have relationship with God. But we're missing something. We're missing the holy fear of God. We don't tremble in his presence. We don't give awe at his glory and wonder and adoration. We're too familiar with him. We fear man more than we fear God. We don't trust his word with reverence. We obey when it's convenient. We love the world. We tolerate sin. And we still believe that God exists to make us happy. That this world somehow still revolves around me and self. But the holy fear of God changes all of that. When we fear God, we love God better. We stand in his truth. We treasure his word. We stand in our faith. We live holy lives that are pleasing to him. We give him honor and worship and reverence that he's worthy of. It's time to bring back the tremble and the awe in the church in the body of Christ. How many of you are ready to journey with me into the holy fear of God? How many of you are ready? Amen. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for, for who you are and for being here. And for just being gracious to us. God, I just pray that we just go deep into understanding of who you are and how awesome you are. That we go deep into the glory of God so that we might adequately worship you and reverence you and love you. God, let our hearts be open and ready to hear the voice of the Lord today and respond to the voice of the Lord today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. What is the holy fear of God? What does it mean to fear God? What does that look like? What I'm going to do today is I want to share five things to help us begin to understand the holy fear of God. And the first thing we need to do in understanding what the holy fear of God is to first acknowledge that not all fear is bad. Okay? Not all fear is bad. But how many of you know that we can have healthy fears? We can have healthy fears. Okay, um, not wanting to be eaten by a bear, that's a healthy fear, right? Because that stops us from getting out of our vehicles in Banff and go petting the little bear cubs, right? That's a healthy fear. Okay, not wanting to fall to our death is a healthy fear. That keeps us on the right side of railings. Is that true? That's a healthy fear. 
Okay, when um, it's a healthy fear when your wife asks you to clean the kitchen and, and you forget and then you hear her come through the front door and it's that fear that makes you jump off, off the couch and, and pretend that you just got home and you start doing the dishes because you want, you value your life. That's, that's a healthy, that's a healthy fear. Right, those, those kind of fears save lives. And so we need to understand, we need to understand that the fear of God is a healthy fear, but it's different from those examples I said because it's not about being scared. It's not about being scared. Exodus 20 verse 19 says, And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. And then Moses says in verse 20, Don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. So it kind of, when you first read this, it like, sounds like Moses is kind of contradicting himself, right? He's saying, um, he's saying don't be afraid, but have fear. Right? So, so what Moses is actually doing, though, in this scripture is he's differentiating between being scared of God and having the fear of God. So Moses is saying, don't be scared of God, but instead have reverence for the Lord. Okay, so, so the fear of God, the holy fear of God, this is different than the spirit of fear that Paul warns Timothy about. Right? When he says, God's not giving you that spirit of Fear. Okay, that, that's, that's different. A spirit of fear um, causes you to run away from God. It, it prevents you from fulfilling God's purpose in your life. That, that's, what, that's that spirit of fear, right? So you might have a, a fear of failure or a fear of rejection or a fear of commitment or a fear of other people's opinions or fear of responsibility. There is hundreds and hundreds of different types of fears, okay? God's not given us that spirit of fear, but instead a spirit of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. Okay, so, so those fears, the spirit of fear, those fears, those chase you away from God, but the fear of God, the holy fear of God, actually brings you closer to him. How many of you know that God calls us to intimacy? Psalm 27, 8 says, My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. So God calls us to intimacy, but how can we be intimate with someone, have intimacy with someone that we're afraid of? Right? Psalm 25, 14 says, The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. So holy fear doesn't quench intimacy and relationship and friendship but, but holy fear actually enhances our closeness and our face-to-face interaction with God. I like how John Bevere says it in his book. He says, the person who fears God is terrified of being away from God. So the, our first definition here of holy fear It's a healthy fear. It's not a fear that makes us afraid of God, but it's a fear that draws us 
closer to God. So number one is, is holy fear is not a spirit of fear. Holy fear is not a spirit of fear. Okay, but this is what it is. Holy fear is about reverence and godly fear. So number two, holy fear is a reverent and godly fear. Hebrews 12, 28 to 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Holy fear is reverence. Reverence is profound, adoring respect. Okay, godly fear. It's reverence and godly fear. Godly fear carries the meaning of awe. Inspired by something great and terrific. To honor and to tremble. We tremble at his presence. We tremble at his word. To honor and to tremble. It means to esteem, to honor, to worship, to adore him above anyone and anything. This is, this is what holy fear is. Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. See, Jesus teaches us to do this uh, when he taught us how to pray. Right? What, what's the first line of, of how Jesus taught us how to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus teaches us to have holy fear. The first thing we do when we come into God's presence is to hallow his name. To hallow means to regard as holy, to treasure, to cherish, to esteem, honor, to revere, and to love. So holy fear is reverence for God. Holy fear is not a spirit of fear. Holy fear, number two, is a reverence for God. It is reverence and godly fear, okay? Number three, holy fear loves what God loves and hates what God hates. This is holy fear of God. So in Hebrews chapter 1, God is exalting Jesus. He's lifting Jesus up as the king of the universe. Right? And this is what God says to Jesus in verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. The holy fear of God means to love righteousness and hate sin. Hate sin. God does not hate people. God hates sin. This is the key to the anointing. We won't have his anointing and power in our life if we are tolerating sin. But when we fear God, we take on his heart. Now everything that's important to God is now important to us. Now everything that he loves, we love. Everything that he hates, we hate. This is what happens when we have this holy fear of God in our life. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. 
the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. A person who has the fear of the Lord will not tolerate sin and the wickedness of this world. I'm going to say that one more time. A person who has the fear of the Lord will not tolerate sin and the wickedness of this world. Okay, and please understand, this is not a legalistic thing where we've got this list of rules and that, you know, and the, we break the rules and it just brings judgment and guilt and condemnation. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about here. Okay, but I'm talking about someone who has too much reverence for what God thinks and how he feels and what he says and who he is to partake in the wickedness of this world. Does that make sense? A holy fear is what compels us to change the channel and walk out of the theater and turn off the music and the lyrics and shut down the social media that is spewing immorality and glorifying wickedness. It's the holy fear of God because we love him so much. We love him so much that he cares, that, that we care what he thinks. We care what he says. Does that make sense? So number three, a holy fear loves God. Sorry, loves what God loves and hates what God hates. Number four, holy fear manifests the presence of God. It's holy fear that manifests the presence of God. Psalm 89.7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. I like this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, his whole character commands our reverence because it is superlatively holy. And his name is to us a word of awe, never to be mentioned flippantly never to be quoted without earnest thought and a prostration, a bowing of heart before him. This is a very important truth, I think, for the church. You will never find God's presence in an atmosphere he is not revered and held in awe. And, and, and I just want to help us understand what I mean by God's presence. God's presence has a couple different meanings, right? The first one is, is that God is omnipresent. So, so God is everywhere at once. Do you know that he's the only one who can do that? He, he did not create his angels that way. So if he didn't create his angels that way, then who is not omnipresent? Satan. That means Satan is not omnipresent. Okay? He can't be everywhere at once. But God can. Okay? David testifies about this attribute of God in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? We can't. We can't. Where you are, God is. He's, he's omnipresent. Okay? And so when I'm talking about God's presence here in, in, in number four here, that, that it manifests the presence of God, I'm not talking about his omnipresence. Okay? But the second one, the second type of his presence is his manifested presence. This is when God reveals himself to our mind and our senses. 
Okay, this, this is when, when to manifest means to bring the unseen into the seen or the unknown into the known. Right, this is when we're in a, a worship service or you, you're in your prayer time, your prayer room at home, and you just, you just now sense with your, your senses, you feel physically, emotionally, spiritually, you sense the presence and the power of God with you in the room. That's the manifested presence of God when he's speaking directly to your heart. That's the manifested presence of God. John 14, 21, Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. See, someone who obeys God fears God. Is that true? Someone who obeys God fears God. So it's a fear of the Lord that brings the manifested presence of God. Lots of us are familiar with this scripture, Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Okay, to please understand, God doesn't need anyone to be gathered to be somewhere. He doesn't need that. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. But what this scripture is referring to is 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 two or three people gathered in my name, people who have a holy fear of me, they're going to know my manifested presence. Does that make sense, everyone? Have you ever been in a church service where you can't sense the presence of God? Have you ever been there before? Is God there? Yes. But his manifested presence isn't. John Bevere talks about how um, he went to a, uh, he was invited to speak at a national conference in Brazil. And, uh, and he was so excited to come to this conference. And uh, he was rushed right into the arena when he got there. And uh, the service had already begun. The worship team was on stage and they're leading worship. And, and he could just hardly wait to just, to just be in the presence of God with thousands of hungry believers. That's what he thought he was walking into. But quickly he realized that we got into the room, into the arena, that the presence of God was not there. The manifested presence of God wasn't there. He couldn't figure it out. Right, Because there's thousands of believers in this room. Thousands. They've got the best worship team in Brazil leading this conference. And, and John Bevere and, and, and the leaders of the conference, they put hours of prayer into this conference. And he couldn't figure this out until he started to look more closely at the crowd. And most of the people, he noticed, were not engaged in worship. But they were talking, and they were laughing, and they were kind of just gazing around, looking, looking bored, and they had their hands in their pocket, or they're kind of fiddling through their purses, or they were, they were eating food from the concession. And, and, and he realized that, that hardly anyone was actually engaged in the service. And, and so he thought that would, that would stop when the worship stopped and the leader came up, and read some scripture, but it didn't. 
Now the talking and the laughing was louder because there's no music. And so he was stunned by this and, and he felt God say in his heart, I want you to confront this. So he walked up on stage, just thousands of people. And he didn't introduce himself and do his regular welcome. He didn't say, hey, I'm John Bevere. It's great to be in Brazil. Right, but he, he, he's got up there and he, he asked the question, would you like it if you were in a conversation with someone sitting across from you and they ignored you and they started to talk to someone else? That's the first thing he said. Now it was silent. Then he said, no, you wouldn't. Then he asked another question. What if, I, what if you knock at your neighbor's door and they open the door and they see you and then they say, oh, it's just you. He said, would you feel welcome to go inside their house? It's dead silent. He said, no, you wouldn't. And then he said, do you think the king of the universe is going to manifest his presence or speak in a place that he is not revered and honored? And after dead silence again, he said, never. He said, if the president of your nation or your favorite soccer player was up on this stage, he'd have your full attention. But when that leader came up and read the word of God, you gave it no attention. And then for the next 90 minutes, in dead silence, <laughs> he spoke about the holy fear of God. Then at the end of his, of his message, he said, if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus and you have a lack of holy fear and you want to repent of that lack of holy fear that you have for God. Stand up. Since 75% of the arena stood up. As soon as they stood up, before he even led them in a prayer of repentance, the manifested presence of God fell in that place. And everyone started sobbing and weeping in the presence of God. And that went on for a while. Then John said, the presence lifted. And everyone was just in such a peaceful place, just loving what God did. But then he felt God whisper and said, I want to manifest one more time. At that moment, a wind, a violent, blowing wind, came into the arena. And I just want to read what happened. He said, we couldn't feel it, but we heard it. Almost simultaneously, those in attendance erupted 
in fervent prayers and cries. Their voices thundered, yet the sound of the wind overpowered the level of their voices. I was stunned in awe and almost terrified by his presence. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. There were goosebumps all over my body. There was an authority in the atmosphere like nothing I'd ever encountered. I thought, this isn't the presence of Abba Father. It is our holy, awesome, mighty King. The roar of the wind lasted about 90 seconds, and it gradually subsided. It left in its wake people weeping. Some were passed out. Some collapsed over the seat back in front of them. But all of us, all of us, were trembling in awe. It's the Holy Spirit of God that manifests the presence of God. What would happen? What would happen at King's Corner if everyone came on a Sunday and we, we weren't just going through motions and it's not just church as usual and we don't walk in here all casual but and we don't come thinking that somehow this is all about us but we came with a holy fear of God. What would happen if we came with a heart and attitude of reverence? That we came ready to tremble and to awe. What kind of manifested presence of God would we experience? I don't know. I don't know. But I want, I want to find out. <laughs> I want to find out. Psalm 5-7 says, But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Where the fear, where the Lord is reverenced, his presence manifests. Amen? And number five, holy fear increases as we behold God and his glory. Our holy fear will increase. Our reverence for him, our tremble, our awe for him will increase the more we understand who he is in his glory. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he was transported to the throne room of heaven. Do you remember this? And he sees the Lord sitting on the throne in his glory. In Isaiah 6, chapter, chapter 6 and verse 3 says, and these are angels talking here, one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you have to please understand right now, the angels are not singing a worship song to God. But they are witnessing God in all of his glory, which the Bible says is immeasurable. And so they're witnessing what they can take in. They can't take it all in because it's immeasurable. But they're witnessing what they can take in. 
of who God is and his glory. And all they can do is cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's all they can do. In Isaiah's response, he says, woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm wrecked. I'm destroyed. Because I'm a man of ceremonially unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Please understand, Isaiah is a godly man. Probably was godlier than you and I. And just the chapter before, he stood in the authority of God and he had credibility as a godly man in the calling of God. And he declared, woe to sinners in Isaiah 5.20. Woe to sinners. But then, when he caught a glimpse of God and his glory, then it was, woe is me. See, his holy fear increased as soon as he caught a glimpse of who God is, as soon as he got a better understanding of God. The majesty of God. And when we begin to see and comprehend the God whose glory is like the sunrise, whose hands flash rays of light, the God who's the all-consuming fire, whose glory will darken the sun on his return, who spoke the universe into existence, who hung the moon and the stars with his fingers, who's the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, whose word will stand forever, whose promises endure, whose name is above every name. When we begin to understand the God who knew us and chose us before the foundations of the earth were laid, the God who fearfully and wonderfully created us, who's numbered the hairs on our heads, whose mercies are new every morning, whose love will never be separated from us. Who demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Whose love will endure. When we can catch a glimpse of the glory of the one who redeemed us, who made a way where there is no way, who chose the nails and the cross and the grave, who took all of our sin and all of our shame, who freed us from the chains of our past, who forgives all sin, heals all all diseases, who makes our enemies a footstool for our feet, who holds the keys to sin and death, who walked out of his own grave, who will never leave us nor forsake us when we can comprehend that God. When we can see him and behold him and know him, then we can cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord God. And we'll know intimacy with him. And we'll love what he loves and we'll hate what he hates. And we'll be the bride. Listen, we'll be the bride that he's returning for. Amen? Amen. We need the holy fear of God in here and in here. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on forward. We're going to sing a song here. And, and, and please, please stay in this moment. Please stay in this moment. Stay in the voice of the Lord. Stay, stay in what the Holy Spirit has been doing in your heart. Let's just stay, that, stay in there for a moment. And as the worship team sings this song, you can stay in your seat. You can come to the altar. You can go in the aisle. Do whatever you want. But let's, let's increase the holy fear of God. And see what, maybe, maybe the first thing we need to do, maybe the first thing is we need to repent. Maybe the first thing, repent for our lack of the holy fear of God. But then let's, let's behold him. Are you with me? Let's behold him. Let's behold him. Hallelujah. Let's cry holy. Amen.